Chapter Eleven of *The Giant's Robe* by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven. Revolt. One afternoon early in the year, Mark had betaken himself to the Cock, where he was to lunch with his uncle by appointment before going with him to the steward's office of his inn to pay his fees for the privilege of being called to the bar for mark had duly presented himself for the not very searching ordeal by which the public is guaranteed against the incompetence of practitioners and rather to his own surprise had not been required to try again call night was announced in the windows of the law wig-makers and uncle solomon in high delight resolved that his nephew should join the next batch of barristers had appointed this day for choosing the wig and gown and settling all other preliminaries he had been so much pleased in fact as to enclose a handsome cheque in the letter which conveyed his desires so mark waited by the hoardings of the new law courts until his relative should join him mark was not at ease he was nerving himself to make a statement which he felt would come upon his uncle as a far from gratifying surprise he had put it off from time to time out of weakness or as he had told himself from diplomacy now he could do so no longer uncle solomon had hinted terrible things in his letter of a certain brief with which his own solicitor was to entrust the brand new barrister the morning after his call but for this mark might have let things drift as he would strongly have preferred to do but this threat of immediate employment drove him to declare himself he firmly believed that his true vocation was the one he had secured at such cost to his self-respect he was willing enough to bear the title of barrister but he had no intention of devoting himself seriously to the profession he saw little more attraction in the bar than in teaching and the most self-confident man might have recoiled at having work thrust into his hands before he had undergone the slightest practical training for conducting it and mark's imagination saw his first brief bringing others in its train until he should sink in a sea of blue foolscap helpless and entangled in clinging tentacles of red tape perhaps this was a groundless alarm but he had planned out a particular career for himself a career of going about and observing and it is well known that what a man of genius calls observing is uncommonly like ordinary people's enjoyment being famous and flattered and sitting down in moments of inspiration to compose with a clear head and a mind unhampered by all other considerations now the responsibility of legal work would hamper him he felt his muse to be of that jealous disposition which will suffer no rival if he meant to be free at all he must strike the blow at once and so as has been said he was not at his ease mr lightowler appeared as st clement danes struck half-past one he was in high good humour jubilant and ruddy well master barrister he said chuckling to think of my living to see you figuring about in a wig and gown you must cut off that moustache of yours though mark none of the young barrister fellows i see going up in the train of a morning wear em i'm told the judges don't consider too much air respectful eh well i suppose we go in and have a bit of something eh the cock is it uh, i haven't been in here i haven't been in here not since i was a young man on the road as we used to call it i don't mean i was ever in the dick turpin line 
but a commercial gentleman you know well i've made my way since you'll have to make yours with more help than i ever had though mark led the way up a steep little passage and into the well-known room with its boxes darkened by age its sawdusted floor and quaint carved jacobean mantelpiece he chose a compartment well down at the bottom of the room what's your particular preference eh said uncle solomon rather as if he was treating a schoolboy what's their speciality here now well you can give me he added to the waiter with the manner of a man conferring a particular favour you can give me a chump chop and a dun and a sausage and bring this young gentleman the same i don't care about anything every this time of day he explained mark talked on all kinds of topics with desperate brilliancy for some time he wanted time before approaching the subject uncle solomon broached it for him you'll want a regular set of chambers by and by he said i've seen a room down middle temple lane that'll do for you for the present when the briefs begin to come in we'll see about something better i was talking about you to ferret the other day he went on it'll be all right he's going to instruct their london agent to send you in a little something that you can try your prentice hand at directly isn't that behaving like an uncle to you eh i hope you will go and do me credit over it that's the only way you can pay me back a little i ask but that of you mark for all his bumptiousness and despotism there was a real kindness possibly not of the purest and most unselfish order but still kindness in his manner and mark felt a pang at having to reward it as he must the meal was over now and uncle solomon was finishing the glass of whisky and water before him well he said as he set it down we'd better be off to the place where i'm to pay the fees for you uh, what you young fellows cost to start nowadays that's it said mark i i would rather not cost you anything uncle it's rather late in the day to be particular about that i should say it is i feel that but i mean i don't want to cost you any more what do you mean by that i mean that i don't care about being called to the bar at present don't you well i do to let that be enough for you if i'm willing to pay i don't see what you have to say against it all you've got to do is to work uncle said mark in a low voice i must tell you what i feel about this i-i don't want to cause you to spend your money on false pretences you better not that's all i can tell you precisely said mark so i'll be quite frank with you beforehand if you set your mind on it i will take my call to the bar will you though that's very affable of you now yes i will but i shall never practise if ferret's agent sends me his brief i shall decline it i would that's the way to get on at the bar you're a sharp fellow you are i don't want to get on at the bar i don't mean to take it up there if you choose to be angry i can't help it i've told you then may i take the liberty of inquiring how you purpose to live demanded uncle solomon i mean to live by literature said mark i know i promised i wouldn't write any more well as far as that goes i've kept my word but-but a former book of mine has been accepted on very liberal terms i see my way now to making a living by my pen and though i'm sorry of course if it disappoints you i mean to choose my life for myself while i can 
it must be highly annoying when one has after infinite labour succeeded in converting a clown to see him come to chapel with a red-hot poker and his pockets full of stolen sausages but even that shock is nothing to uncle solomon's he turned deadly pale and sank back in the box glaring at mark and opening his mouth once or twice with a fish-like action but without speaking when he could articulate he called the waiter giving mark reason for a moment to fear that he was going to pour out his rage and disappointment into the ears of one of the smug and active attendants take for me and this young man will you was all he said however when the waiter had reckoned up the sum in the time-honoured manner and departed uncle solomon turned and began to struggle into his greatcoat let me help you said mark but mr lightowler indignantly jerked himself away i don't want to be helped into my coat by you he said you've helped me into my grave by what you've done this day you have but let that be sufficient for you when he had rendered himself rather conspicuous by his ineffectual attempts to put on the coat and was reduced to accept the assistance of two waiters who shook him into it obsequiously he came back to the box where mark was sitting in a relieved but still vaguely uncomfortable frame of mind i don't want to have many words with you about this he began with a sternness that was not unimpressive if i was to let myself out in here i should go too far i'll only just tell you this much this is the second time you've played me this trick and it's the last i warned you before that i should have done with you if you did it again you'll have no more chances like the last so mind that take care of that cheque you needn't fear i shall stop it but you won't get many more out of me and now i'll bid you good day young gentleman i'm going to kensington and then i shall do a little literary composing on my own account since it's so popular and get ferret to help me with it i'm not one of your literary men but i dare say i can compose something yet that'll be read some day with a good deal of interest it won't be pleasant reading for you though i can tell you he went noisily out the waiters staring after him and the people looking up from their boxes as he passed and mark was left to his own reflections which were of a mixed order he had accomplished his main object his slavery was over and he felt an indescribable relief at the thought still he could not avoid the suspicion that his freedom might have been dearly purchased his uncle's words had pointed to a state of things in which he would have benefited to a considerable extent under his will and that was over now would it not have been worth while to endure a little longer but mark felt strongly that it would not with such prospects as he now saw opening before him the idea of submitting himself to an old man's ambitious whims for the sake of a reward which might after all be withheld at last was utterly revolting he felt a certain excitement too at the idea of conquering the world single-handed when he left the cock he walked slowly and irresolutely down the strand if i go home now i shall find him blustering there i don't feel equal to any more of him just now he thought he had no club to go to at that time so he went and read the papers and drank coffee at a cigar divan until it was late enough to dine and after dinner tried to drown his care by going to see one of those anomalous productions a three-act burlesque at a neighbouring theatre which he sat through with a growing gloom in spite of the pretty faces and graceful dances which have now with some rare exceptions made plot and humour so unnecessary 
each leading member of the clever company danced his or her special passeur as if for a competitive examination but left him unthrilled amidst all the enthusiasm that thundered from most parts of the house it is true that there were faces there and young men's faces quite as solemn as his own but then theirs was a solemnity of an enjoyment too deep for expression while mark's face was blank from a depression he could not shake off he went away at the end of the second act with a confused recollection of glowing groups of silk-clad figures forming up into a tableau for no obvious dramatic reason and thinking it better to face his family before the morning went straight home to malakoff terrace he could not help a slight nervousness as he opened the gate and went up the narrow path of flagstones the lower window was dark but there were no lights in the upper rooms so that he guessed that the family had not retired mrs ashburn was entirely opposed to the latch-key as a domestic implement and had sternly refused to allow such a thing to pass her threshold so that mark refrained from making use of the key which of course he had in all cases where it was not absolutely necessary and he knocked and rang now trixie came to the door and let him in they've sent anne to bed she whispered but ma and pa are sitting up for you are they though said mark grimly as he hung up his hat yes said trixie come in here for a minute mark while i tell you all about it uncle solomon has been here this afternoon and stayed to dinner and he's been saying oh such dreadful things about you why weren't you here i thought i should enjoy my dinner more if i dined out said mark well and what's the end of it all trixie i'm sure i don't know what it will be uncle solomon actually wanted me to come and live with him at chigbourne and said he would make it worth my while in the end if i would promise not to have anything more to do with you ah and when are you going said mark with a cynicism that was only on the surface when said trixie indignantly why never horrid old man as if i cared about his money i told him what i thought about things and i think i made him angrier i hope so i'm sure did he make the same offer to martha or cuthbert asked mark and were they indignant too they weren't asked i don't think uncle solomon cares about them much you're his favourite mark yes i'm his favourite said mark but i'm not proud trixie besides i rather think all that is over now here the door of the next room opened and mrs ashburn's voice was heard saying trixie tell your brother mark that if he is in a condition to be spoken to his father and i have something to say to him at once encouraging that said mark well trixie here goes you'd better go to bed i'm afraid we are going to have a scene in there he went in with a rather overdone cheerfulness well mother he began attempting to kiss her i didn't dine at home to-night because i know why you didn't dine at home she said i wish for no kisses from you mark we have seen your uncle so have i said mark i lunched with him it is useless to trifle now she said we know all i assure you i did lunch with him we had chops said mark who sometimes found the bland and childlike manner very useful in these emergencies it did not serve him then however how could you deceive your uncle in such a manner she resumed i didn't i undeceived him you have disappointed all his plans for you thrown up the bar your position at st peter's all your prospects in life 
and for what for fun of course mother i don't know what i'm fit for or what i want it's pure idiotic recklessness isn't it it is but don't talk to me in that ribald tone mark i have enough to bear as it is once for all i ask you is it true what my brother tells me that you have returned to the mire like the sow in the scriptures that you are going to let your name be connected with with a novel after all you have promised quite true said mark i hope to be connected with many novels mark said his mother you know what i think about that i implore you to pause while there's still time before doing what you can never recall it's not only from worldly motives that i ask it surely you can sacrifice a contemptible vanity to your duty towards your mother i may be wrong in my prejudices but still i have a right to expect you to regard them i ask you once more to withdraw from this are you going to refuse me mrs ashburn's harsh tones carried a very genuine feeling and concern she truly believed that the paths of fiction would lead to her son's spiritual as well as his material ruin and mark had sense enough to recognize the reality of this belief of hers and drop the levity he had assumed for defensive purposes his father had as usual taken no part in the interview he sat looking dolefully at the fire as if anxious to remain neutral as long as possible he had long been a mere suzerain and like some other suzerains felt a very modified resentment at a rebellion against an authority that was only nominally his own so mark addressed himself to his mother only i'm sorry if it grieves you mother he said gently enough but you really must let me go my own way in this it is no use at all asking me to withdraw now i have gone too far some day you will see that i was not so very foolish after all i promise you that wouldn't you rather think of me as living the life i could be happy in being famous perhaps even some day than dragging out my days in a school or slaving at a profession i can never care for of course you would and a novel isn't such an awful thing if you could only bring yourself to think so you never will read one you know so you can't be a very impartial judge mrs ashburn read very little of any literature what she did read being chiefly the sermons and biographies of dissenting divines and she had never felt any desire to stimulate her imagination by anything much more exciting especially by accounts of things that never happened and were consequently untruthful her extreme horror of fiction was a form of bigotry now almost extinct but she had grown up in it and retained it in all the old puritan vigour she showed no signs of being at all impressed by mark's remonstrance her eyes were severely cold and her voice measured and loud as she replied without looking at him you won't make me change my opinion in the least mark if you were to talk till daylight if you set yourself against my wishes in this we have quite made up our minds how to act have we not matthew yes quite said mr ashburn uneasily quite but i hope mark my boy i hope you won't crush your mother in this when you see how strongly she feels about it i want to keep my children about me while i can i don't wish any one to go if it can be arranged if it can be arranged do you mean mother that if i don't do as uncle solomon and you wish i am to go asked mark i do said his mother i won't encourage any son of mine against my conscience and my principles 
if you choose to live a life of frivolity and idleness you shall not lead it under my roof so you know what to expect if you persist in disobeying me us i mean i think i had better go said mark i don't quite see what enormity i have been guilty of but if you look at things in that light there is no more to be said i have chosen my life and i don't mean to go back from it i will see about finding lodgings as soon as i can and you shall not be troubled with me any longer than i can help mark don't be headstrong don't let your passion get the better of you cried his mother moved out of all her stoniness for she had not quite expected this believing that the amount of mark's salary and his expenses made him practically dependent on her she had forgotten his uncle's cheque and did not believe in any serious profits to be gained from literature i'm not in the least angry he said i don't wish to go if you wish me to stay but if you meant what you said just now i have no choice his mother was much too proud to weaken her authority by retracting she still hoped that he would yield if she remained firm but yielding was out of the question with mark then and besides independence had its charms though he would not have been the first to loosen the tie blame your wicked pride and selfishness mark not your mother who is only anxious for your good go if you will but don't dare to expect a blessing on your disobedience do you say go too father said mark you hear what your mother says what else can i say he answered feebly it's very painful to me all this but you must take your own course i see i must said mark and left the room you've been very hard with the boy jane said her husband when they were alone and she had sat for some time with a book open but unread before her i really do think you've been very hard do you want to encourage him against his mother she asked no no you know i don't jane anything you think right but i think you were hard if i was it was for his own good she said i have done what i thought right and we have sat up long enough we can do no good by talking over it any more matthew perhaps mark will think differently to-morrow trixie had been waiting for mark in the adjoining room into which she beckoned him as he passed the door how did it end she whispered you were very quiet in there is it settled yes it's settled he said i'm to go trixie i shall have to shift for myself they won't have me here any longer oh mark cried tipsy take me with you do it will be so horrid at home with only martha and cuthbert you and i always got on together let me come too i can't said mark not yet by and by perhaps tripsy when i'm a rich man you know we can manage it just now i shall hardly be able to keep myself i'll work hard at my drawing and get into the academy i've begun features already and i shall soon get into the antique then we can be famous together you know we shall see said mark and in the meantime trixie i think we had better both go to bed when he was alone again and had time to think over the day which had proved so eventful he could not find it in him to regret what had happened he had got rid of uncle solomon he had cast off the wig and gown which were to him as the garb of slavery and the petty restraints of his home life were gone as well he had no sentimental feelings about his banishment the bosom of his family had not been a very appreciative or sympathetic one and he had always intended to go forth from it as soon as he could afford it 
if he had really committed the offence for which he was to be driven from home he could have considered himself a most interesting martyr he did his best to do so as it was but not with complete success betraying a dead man's trust is scarcely heroic and even mark felt that dimly and could not dwell on his ill-treatment as he would dearly like to have done but there was something exciting for him notwithstanding in the future he was to go out into the world and shift for himself and conquer he would have a part and it might be a difficult one to play for a season but after that he could resume his own character and take the place he meant to fill in the world feeling at last that the applause he won was his by right vincent holroyd had been unselfish in life mark had always recognized that trait in his character though the liking he had for the man had not been much the stronger on that account if now vincent could see any brief and fleeting fame which his book might gain used as a stepping-stone to his friend's advancement surely mark told himself he would scarcely grudge it but he hardly cared to justify to himself what he had done by any casuistry of this kind he preferred to shut his eyes resolutely to the morality of the thing he might have acted like the basest scoundrel very likely he had still no one did no one need suspect him all he had to do was to make the best use of the advantage he had snatched when he could feel that he had done that then he would feel justified meanwhile he must put up with a few natural twinges of conscience now and then when he was not feeling well the next morning breakfast passed without any reference to the scene of the night before martha and cuthbert both knew of what had happened but kept silence and if mrs ashburn had any hopes that mark would recant she was disappointed that evening he informed them that he had taken rooms and should not remain at malakoff terrace for more than a few days longer his announcement being met by a grim very well mark just as you please from his mother and though her heart sank at his words and her last hope of prevailing died away she never returned to the charge in any way recognizing that it was useless when the day for his departure came there were no scenes even trixie who felt it most was calm for after all mark would not be so very far away he had said she might come and see him sometimes the other two were civil and cold there being that curious latent antipathy between them and him which sometimes exists between members of a family mr ashburn had mumbled his good-byes with a touch of emotion and even shame in his manner as he shuffled away to his office i don't want you to feel we've cast you off he said nervously your mother says rather more than she exactly feels at times but it's better for you to go my boy better for all parties concerned only if you find yourself in in any difficulties come back to us or that is he amended right or come to me at the office that will be better perhaps but mrs ashburn's last words were good-bye mark i never thought to part with a son of mine in anger we may never meet again but you may live to be sorry for the grief you have caused your mother when you stand one day over her grave this would have been more impressive if mrs ashburn had not been so much addicted to indulging in doleful predictions on less adequate occasions that she had discounted much of the effect that properly belonged to them even as it was however they cut mark for a moment he half offered to embrace his mother 
but she made no response and after waiting for a while and finding that she made no sign he went out with a slight shrug of expostulation when he had left the room she half rose as if to follow but stopped halfway irresolute while the cab which he had engaged to take himself and his luggage to his new quarters drove off and then she went upstairs and shut herself in her bedroom for half an hour and the maid who was doing the rooms hard by reported afterwards to the cook that she had heard missus taking on awful in there a sobbing and groaning and praying she was altogether like it quite upset her to ear it there were no traces of emotion on her face however when she came down again and only an additional shade of grimness in her voice and manner to tell of the half-hour's agony in which her mother's heart had warred against her pride and her principles End of chapter 11